You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Go Wild. Go Wild is the fastest growing social media application for outdoor enthusiasts, and it's designed by outdoor enthusiasts. If you want more information, visit Google Play Store and download the app or visit timetogowild.com. Let's get outside. It's time to go wild. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles hunting podcast brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and on this podcast, you will find tons of relevant information that will help you become more successful in the field. You'll hear product information directly from the manufacturer and success stories from guys and gals just like you. Sit back, relax, and pour a stiff drink. This episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast starts right now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here we go again. Welcome to the last podcast of 2018. Hopefully you guys are ready for 2019 because it's here. I know that... uh, with the Sportsman's Nation overall, I'm just freaking excited for 2019, what we've done in 2018, and where we're going to be going in 2019, man. I cannot wait for you guys to see and listen and feel and read some of the new content that we have coming out. It's going to be very, very kick-ass. I'm really excited about it, and uh, more information to come on that probably within the next couple weeks. Um I want to take this opportunity to not only thank you, the listeners, for continually listening to this podcast. Uh, That just tells me I'm doing something right, and I appreciate your loyalty uh, in following this podcast. It's it's an honor. Uh, I I really do mean that. And uh, I want to thank my wife, although she'll never listen to this, and my kids for putting up with me, uh, for you know, sitting in this closet that I've called uh, my Nine Finger Chronicles headquarters, I'm sitting right next to a baby crib because my office also also doubles as a nursery. So my goal in 2019 is to get out of this room and uh, head head upstairs to a newly refurbished office uh, above my garage. That's the goal. And then once I can do that, it's takeoff time, man. Uh, it's really, we're going to be putting uh, some things into overdrive. I also need to thank the partners of this podcast, right? They pay me 
and that allows me to grow the business and it allows me to buy this microphone and the hosting fees and all the things that go into launching and editing a podcast, getting logos done, um, buying and updating new equipment and software. Uh, it's not cheap. And uh, so huge shout out to all the partners, Exodus Trail Cameras. If you guys have, haven't have uh, checked out uh, Exodus Trail Cameras, please do that. Uh, they have two uh, cameras out right now that are kick-ass. And I would put those, those cameras up against any other trail camera on the market, hands down, period, point blank, whatever. Uh, second, Wasp Archery. Man, I don't... Uh, it's American made company and their, their products are made from the most durable material that you can make broadheads from. And, uh, I'm a firm believer in their fixed blade broadheads. I shot the boss four blade this year and I'm telling you right now, I don't think I would have killed my buck if I had a mechanical broadhead on there. And I feel that the wasp definitely did its job. It, uh, got the job done. And it's basically like a sharp sledgehammer, right? It just destroyed whatever it hits. Lone wolf tree stands. I really don't even need to say anything about them, right? That tree stand alone allows me to get into position wherever I need to be. Not where there's shooting lanes, not where there's straight trees, but the right tree. And uh, if you guys, if, if this is your first podcast that you've ever listened to of the Nine Finger Chronicles, go back. I I, I almost talk about lone wolf tree stands every episode. Uh, lastly, or not lastly, but next, Deer Lab, right? I don't know, I don't talk about this enough, but Deer Lab is one of the best, I guess you would say, deer hunting pod or uh, uh, softwares that there is. Uh, actually, last night I was stayed up. I was staying up really late looking at all my old trail camera pictures from 2018 and uploading them into Deer Lab, and then kind of uh, looking around at the data that those trail cameras provide. So go check out DeerLab.com. Uh, I'm not going to get into detail on it right now, but uh, just if you're if you run trail cameras and run a lot of trail cameras and you want to try to forecast deer movement you need to check out deer lab uh prime archery man dude go shoot their bows right one of the best bows on the market in my opinion and uh we've talked about that on on the show before ripcord arrow rests guys i don't know what to say it is probably one of the toughest pieces of equipment on my bow, and I beat the shit out of my equipment uh, every single year. And ripcord with the mud and the rain and the ice and the dirt and just me handling it uh, holds up and works every single time. You need to go check out uh, ripcord arrow rests. Uh, they got new shit coming out this year too that I'm really excited about. Uh, Ozonics. I have been a firm believer of ozone technology and what it can do uh, in the hunting industry for several years. And I've um, used an Ozonics product for several years. And not only what it does in the field, but what it does after the hunt. It cleans your clothes without having to clean your clothes, if that makes sense. Go check out OzonicsHunting.com. Tons 
of great information about that. It's it's really a game-changing product. And then lastly, and probably the most important, hunter safety systems. Guys, if you're not hunting with a tree stand, you're a straight or a, with a, a safety harness, you are a straight-up idiot. You need to get a safety harness and uh, you might as well use a hunter's safety system safety harness actually they're way more comfortable than what i was using in past years and they are uh i don't know the the material is kind of soaked or treated in this alimus shield product that they also make it's uh basically a, a scent elimination type of product and it's uh that's really cool too but uh those are the those are the partners of this podcast. They pay me. I promote their products. Um, we all know how this works. It's a business, right? And uh, without their paychecks coming to me, without those checks coming to me, this wouldn't be happening. So please take some time and go check out the those partners, right? I'm telling you, every single one of them I use every single year and every single one of them I trust and every single one of them helps me kill deer straight up now lastly uh today's podcast man we're going to be talking with Chad Yingling and Chad is going to walk us through this is a really good BS session slash hunter profile podcast and we get into absolutely everything uh so if you like to hear bullshit you're going to love this podcast Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, 2018, but we got to go on to bigger and better things. 2019 is going to kick ass. The Sportsman's Nation is going to grow. You're going to love the direction it's going in, and uh, enough of me talking. Let's get into today's podcast. All right, on the phone with me right now, Mr. Chad Yingling. Yingling, what's up, man? Just living the dream, Dan. How are you doing today? Oh, not too bad. However, uh, one of my favorite beers to drink when I head out east to uh, like Philadelphia for work <laughs> is Yingling beer. Uh, it is, it's very delicious. I really wish that uh, I was seeing some sort of an income off of that, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not happening. Right, right. So uh, today, we're going to just BS for a little bit, talk about how your season's gone, uh, talk about you know some of the, the area you hunt, kind of like a BS session mixed with a Hunter Profile podcast. But before we do, as always, why don't you tell everybody where you're from and what do you do for a living? All right, so I'm Chad Yingling. Um, I'm from West Central Illinois. Uh, been a registered nurse uh, for 11 years, as well as uh, got 60 head of beef cattle. Uh, me and my dad uh, work those, and then I do a little bit of taxidermy work on the side. Oh, nice. How long have you been doing taxidermy? About eight years. Eight years. Nice. Nice. Has it been something that, uh, what's the, what's the learning curve like for taxidermy? You know, really it, it wasn't that bad. I, uh, I had a few racks that I, you know, I wanted to mount, but you know, it's expensive. So I, uh, bought a couple DVDs actually from, uh, a taxidermy school, watched those a few times, uh, mounted a few of my own deer. My buddies liked it. 
liked my work, so I mounted a few for them. You know, their friends liked it, and it just kind of blew up from there. So, like, the first two or three years, I did, you know, 30 to 50 heads, and then uh, we uh, we had a kid, and I had to make a cutback on uh, on some time. So I've, I'll do maybe a dozen to 20 a year now. Wow. That's still quite a bit, considering all the work that goes into a sing, you know, a single mount. Oh yeah, man. I got like 26, 28 hours time in on a, in on a mount. Right. Um, so do you do I the tan? Tanning? tan. Oh, that is yeah. I nice tan question. my, I, yep. I tan my own hides and, uh, and do everything myself. So. Awesome. That's cool, man. Uh, and then obviously the livestock keeps you busy as well. Yep. It does. So let's see this time of year. Do you, do you guys do like a winter, a winter calving session or not? Uh, we actually have it split up to where uh, the cows that I have on my place will uh, start calving end of February. Gotcha. And then my dad's will start at his place on the other end of the county. Uh, his will start out in August. Okay. Um, so we can kind of help each other out. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Yep. Kids plus extra jobs plus full-time job. <laughs> I, I know exactly what that's like and, and time is limited. So, but you make, but you make time for hunting season, right? Oh, absolutely, man. Yeah. So I think the first, the first question I want to ask you just kind of real high level, how was your 2018 uh, season thus far? Ups and downs. Um, started out, um, started out great and then fell off pretty quick um shot a really nice buck that i had uh, a lot of pictures of through the summer and uh had him showing up uh, in a bachelor group on uh, a food plot that led into some beans and um, he was showing up with another deer i was after pretty regularly you know two three times a week and uh we got a cold snap there in uh beginning of october like october 11th and so I went in and, uh, that deer came out with a bachelor group. Um, the other buck I was after, he didn't show up, but that one was still there. Um, came out, fed right by me, 20 yards broadside, put a shot on him. And I mean, I thought I 10 ringed him so, so much that I, I went back home and, uh, you know, called all the buddies and my dad and, uh, packed my four-year-old kid up to go do a blood trail that I thought was going to be like 50 yards and that was not the case yeah uh so what 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 happened with that shot sounds like uh, it was a little forward it was a little forward and a little high um I just I don't know if I maybe a little bit of target panic um you know got the pin on him and punched it punched the release a little bit but uh the uh the blood trail i mean tracked the deer for a mile or so and ended up ended up losing blood and uh so there was just feeling absolutely miserable and sick after shooting a deer like i, I think that deer was like 160 some inch 10 yeah and uh just just feeling miserable afterwards but my neighbor to the west who let me actually go look for him over there um, sent me pictures two weeks later of that deer uh, on his feet. He'd actually been fighting because he busted off a G3 on one side. Right. And uh, he he made it. He lived He lived through it. Yeah, and that's the good thing, man. You know, like, yeah. it always sucks to put a bad shot on a deer, 
But if they make it through, you know, it just takes a little bit of worry off you. Now, what really sucks is if you shoot one and then you don't ever see it again. Yeah. Yeah, that that would, I mean, at least I got a little bit of closure on it to where I'm like, okay, thank God he made it. So, yeah, I think we've all been there at some point in our hunting career. So, um, so you got into a, a really good buck, put an arrow in him, didn't find him. What happened after that? Um, basically just kind of kept running trail cameras. Um, the, the way our farm kind of lays out, we don't have like, you know, just a big block to hunt. There's, um, you know, just little, little farms kind of spread out. Um, I have one that's, you know, 80 acres here, another 40 acres over here. And, uh, one, the biggest one's like 110 acres. Um, and our, our family farms, um, but most of it's, the the just ag, ag fields, um, not a lot of woods on it. So, um, but we kind of compiled a every year kind of doing try say every year, but I've only been doing trail cameras for two years. Oh really? But I uh, kind of put a list. Oh yeah. I, I did cameras way back when they first came out, the digital cameras that took like 10 D batteries <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and they would, and they would, they weighed about 15 pounds. It would last like a week. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I just couldn't ever, I, I just felt it was way too intrusive. So I just stopped doing it. Huh. That's crazy. But, uh, yeah. But so, two, two years ago, I go ahead. So when you started using trail cameras for the very first time, I mean, back in the day, because uh, one thing that happened, there was like an aha moment when I started using trail cameras. I didn't realize what kind of deer were running around the timber. And then all of a sudden I start using trail cameras and I'm like, holy cow, I, I, I do live in a really good state for, uh, for whitetails. Now I just got to figure out how to go kill them. Yeah, man. It's, uh, it's pretty crazy. The deer you, I mean, when you're, you're out driving around and cruising back roads, kind of doing some glass and scouting, yeah. uh, you'll see some deer and you're like, yeah, that's a pretty nice one. But then you start getting these pictures of these, you know, old nocturnal deer that just show up out of nowhere yeah. and you're like, Oh my God, I didn't know there was things like this running around here. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, so the rest of the season, what happened? So, uh, I had a buck actually that I'd been after for three years. Um, in 2016, which was the year before I did trail cams, I had a, uh, encounter with a steer. Um, I had a, a doe just come blowing under me, yeah. uh, being followed by a little buck. And I made a real quick move to grab my bow. And next thing I hear is a deer blowing and I look back and here's this giant buck standing there <laughs> like 40 yards looking at me. And he's a very unique deer cause he has kind of a, he has like inside tines and outside tines on yeah. his rack and uh, he goes bounding off through the field. And that was the last time I saw him that year. Wow. But, uh, the next year in 2017, uh, I started doing cameras and got all sorts of summertime velvet pictures of this deer showed up there all summer. And then, you know, the, the beans start changing crops start coming out the shift happens and he was gone. Um, but came back middle of October, uh, middle end of October. 
and just all all nocturnal but just tons of pictures of him and then uh so come into 2018 i have no summertime pictures of him at all um there's in that area there was five five to six guys that knew this deer was around they were hunting him yeah um but uh beginning of october here he is, uh, shows up, start getting hard, hard horn pictures of him all at nighttime. And, uh, just kept checking cameras and kind of trying to wait for conditions to, to be right to, to hunt him. But, uh, the, uh, the pictures I was getting of him, he was always coming from like an oddball direction where all the other deer weren't coming. So it kind of told me, he wasn't staying on me. He was staying on our neighbors yeah. in uh, a little like 12 acre CRP patch. And he was always coming from that direction. And, uh, so my rutcation I took, which was like the second through the 11th of November, I did lay eyes on him twice coming out of that CRP patch. But the problem is, is when he comes out of that CRP patch, he's in the middle of our, of a 50 acre field with nothing around. So did you try to maybe ground blind him at all or I, or sit on the ground man. or did you just kind of like wish and pray he came came by your stand? That's why you're so smart and you do this for a living, man. <laughs> I did put up a ground blind. So you did or didn't? I did. You did? I okay. did. Okay. I, I have um, I had a food plot that was uh, not too far from where he was bedding, like 300 yards from where he was bedding. Right. And uh, it was about a quarter acre of oats and turnips that led into about an acre and a half of standing beans that we left. And uh, so I put a ground blind out on the very far, it would be the east end of that, which was the closest I could get to that wide open field. Yeah. And uh, I just saw him those two times in November, nothing after that. I, I mean, I tried putting out a decoy on a terrace in that wide open field, a doe decoy, hoping to catch him coming out of that CRP and maybe get him to come over there across the wide open field. But I never laid eyes on him again Man. until, Man. uh, the, the people that own that property, um, they drive their four wheelers everywhere during yeah. gun season. And, uh, so after the gun season happened, I checked my cameras, uh, would have been the, 25th of November because there was a big uh, winter storm moving through that evening. So I checked my cameras the 25th uh, that morning and I was moving them off of scrapes to put them back on food. And uh, he was in my food plot every night the previous six nights. Okay. From like from like 9 p.m. to 1 in the morning. So so, so what because I, I got something like that going on right now i just had a buck show up to a food source um the last couple days really really late it, i mean it's after shooting light obviously he starts showing up about nine o'clock and then i think I, I get him walking back uh somewhere around like one in the morning um so yeah so how do you i mean how did you or are you or will you or whatever how do you how are you going to try to get after this buck with the rest of the season knowing that he's not going to be getting to your field edge un- until a, a huge cold snap fronts or I don't know, 
or or you run the risk of never even getting a crack at him. So what happened is after the gun season, uh, which was like the 16th through the 19th, um, all these pictures I got of this deer when I checked my cameras on the 25th, he was now coming from the west, um, the complete opposite direction from where I'd been getting all the pictures before, which he was coming. So that told me he was now betting on me. Yeah. And uh, it was back on a ridge where actually I took some info from your guys' podcast. I did a bunch of hinge cutting back on the the edge of this ridge before it drops off into a creek bottom. Yeah. Um, like a 50-yard wide area, uh, 50, like 50 by 50. I, I did a bunch of hinge cutting to try and create a bet, you know, a betting area. And uh, all all those six uh, the six pictures I got that week of him being in the food plot were him coming from the west coming from that side okay um so the 25th that morning i checked those cameras then it dropped from the 25th to the 26th it dropped 30 degrees and had like five six inches of snow yes and so i didn't but that was a monday and sick people are still sick even if the weather's bad so i have to go take care of them yeah so I, uh, I do home care actually. So okay. I, I work out of my house and I travel around and take care of patients in the rural community, but the weather was so bad and the roads were so bad because of freezing rain and, and, and all that. Our bosses sent out an email basically saying only see the patients you absolutely have to. Mm-hmm. So I went, saw like five patients that day for lab draws and wound care. And then went home it's not fit to work but i got it's fit to deer hunt so That's right <laughs> i went uh got in the stand by uh well i can go back to this i had that ground blind there that i could have been nice and toasty and with a little heater yeah but uh but all the pictures this deer was coming right by a stand i'd moved uh an observation stand over onto this food plot um so i can hunt it with uh, north northwest winds uh, kind of into a kill plot or a kill stand. And, uh, so I got in there, hunted that stand, uh, got in there at one thirty, and that buck showed up at three thirty, coming out. Okay. So he's walking out. I can tell it's a nice buck. Uh, grab my bow, get stood up. And then he gets, comes through the oats and turnips and gets to the edge of the standing beans. And I can tell exactly what deer it was then because he's about 50 yards away. Yeah. And my knees just go weak and heart's beating <laughs> and just like, holy shit, that's this deer I've been after for three years. Oh, my God. And, uh, you know, thank God he didn't just come right in because he I got to watch him feed out in the standing beans for about a half an hour. Um, he started working up the north side edge of the field just kind of made a semicircle, made a loop out and came down the, uh, the South edge of the field and gave me a 35 yard shot. But, uh, so when I shot though, he ducked and I hit him high and back. Okay. And I thought, Oh God, we got a repeat of early October. And just for clarity, I just want to clear things up that this is all happening this year. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Go for it. So, uh, so I hit him high and back. Um, I mean, you don't, I didn't get the hunched up, you know, gut shot response. Did he, um, did he mule kick at all? 
he did not mule kick. He just took off like a bat out of hell. Yeah. Um, tail wasn't tucked. It was up. And it just immediately was like, oh, no. Um, so packed everything up, got down. Um, like I said, it was 3.30 when he came out. I shot him at like 4. Um, went to find my arrow. Couldn't find my arrow. I was under, you know, five, six inches of snow. So I went to just track him. I was just said, I'm going to track him to the edge of the woods, see how the blood trail looks, and I'm going to leave. So, uh, you know, snow was on heavy, great tracking conditions because you see tracks and um, blood trail was like three feet wide, you know, little, little bitty spatters. Um, so it looked like it was spraying. So I thought maybe I caught, maybe that artery, you know, runs under his back, you know, possibly one lung, but I just decided I was just going to leave. Um, and I called my, called my dad and called my, uh, cousin to kind of rally the, rally the troops and told him we'd meet up at this about seven to go back out. Was, was it, uh, snowing at all for fear of you having, you know, like a losing the blood trail because snow was coming down or was it, had it stopped snowing? It, it, it had stopped snowing. It, okay. it, uh, it had dumped that like five to six inches overnight right. and it stopped snowing, but the temperature was, I mean, it was like 18, 20 degrees with like a 15 mile hour wind. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was cold. So real quick, um, you know, for me this year, I, my gut feeling instantly was dead deer. I had a gut feeling I was, he, with that arrow, he, he did a little bit of a mule kick. He ran off dead deer. That was my gut reaction. What was your gut reaction on this shot that you took on this buck? I'm not gonna lie, man. After that, uh, hit early October, um, my confidence was really, really shot. I mean, yeah. it was, it, it was just like, I don't know, not again. Um, and I mean, I, I shot two does early season. I was trying, I, first way I hunt, I'll, I get a couple does in the freezer early and then, uh, and then I'll start hunting, uh, for a big deer after that. But, uh, so yeah, it, uh, it was not, I did, I didn't feel very good about it. Yeah. And so did you practice your shot, uh, a lot more than normal after that bad hit or did you just think it was just mental? Thought it was mental. I mean, I, I shoot, I shoot a lot during the summer, uh, shoot in my basement all through the winter. So, I mean, I, I shoot a lot to try and, to try and, you know, keep the skill level up to, cause you want to, you know, any hunter, you want to, you want to take a deer out ethically and quickly. Um, so, I mean, I practice a lot. I just, just on that case, on that deer, um, the, the deer I shot in, uh, in November in the snow, it wasn't target panic. It was, he, he dropped when I shot. I mean, but yeah. Yeah. So you ended up, uh, um, now where do you think you actually hit him at this point? I was hoping that I, I, I thought I was back a little bit further than, than the deer I shot in October. Liver. Uh, so I was, I was thinking, I was hoping liver. Okay. Um, I didn't think guts because he didn't hunch up, right. you know, like the, like usually a gut shot deer will, but, uh, I was hoping liver and maybe the backside 
of uh, of lung. You know, the further back you get behind that shoulder, those lungs kind of expand a little bit and yep. get to be a little wider. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what I was hoping, and I did find some some pink froth on some of the stems of the beans okay. when I went to look at the blood trail. So I mean, that gave me a gotcha, gave me a little more confidence. Gotcha. And this was below the spine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it, it was probably six to seven inches behind the shoulder, and probably three to four inches below the spine. Okay. Yeah. That's definitely that back lung liver area. I shot a, uh, not this year, but last year I shot my buck, no lung, but straight liver shot. And he was dead fast. He was the, of all the deer I've killed, uh, this buck died the fastest with only a, uh, a pass through liver shot, uh, it hit both lobes, you know, so both sides, he was directly broadside and it was the, I guess, other than a spine, which I had to follow him up with another arrow, single shot with a bow with a a fixed blade broadhead to both lobes of the liver, that buck bled out and was dead in, I want to say two minutes. Yeah. I mean, if, if you can hit the, if you can hit that hepatic vein that comes in there, yeah, I mean, that's, and there's a lot of blood going into that organ. So yeah, yeah, it'll, it'll take them out quick, but absolutely. So what were you using? Were you using a mechanical or were you using a fixed blade? Uh, that one, it was mechanical, mechanical. Okay. All right. So you wait a little while and, uh, you, you get some reinforcements and then you said seven o'clock it's time to head back in and, and, uh, go track this deer. Um, as you start following the blood trail a little bit, does the blood pick it up at all? Um, it it kind of stayed the same. It was, I mean, you could see it really well in the snow. Uh, you know, it stayed really wide, like it was kind of spraying almost. You know, little little dots that were spraying out. You know, three feet wide. Yep. Um, and I'm glad that we back that I that I backed out because found his first bed like 50 yards inside the edge of the woods. Good. Um, and that made my confidence immediately go through the roof. Um, then took the track about another 80 yards, uh, found a series of like three beds in a semicircle, um, all with good blood in it. And there was kind of a, a slide going down, down the hill and thought maybe he'd just fallen. But so we got up, took off on the track, uh, on the trail that he was headed on, couldn't find any more blood. So we came back to that site where those three three beds were and shined lights all the way down the hill. And he just kind of bedded facing up a pretty steep hill and just slid all the way down it and found him right there in his bed. Wow. Yeah, that tells you, that tells you he was hit and very uncomfortable when you ended up shooting. He was probably, he was probably dead uh, fairly quickly. He just got uncomfortable and, and, uh, I don't know, bedded down, got back up, bedded down, got back up, went to one more bed, and then, you know, game over from there. So as you walk up on him, uh, where did you actually hit him? Um, where I hit him was after field dressing him, looking at everything. I'm kind of weird like that, being a nurse, medical yeah. stuff, kind of doing autopsy. Um, I took out the back of one lung and center punched his liver. Yeah, and not and not much uh not much blood, right? 
not a lot because it was high. Yeah. Uh, but the end, but the inside, I mean, he was just full. Yeah. Right. I had my buck in 2009, the buck I shot in 2009, double lung pass through. Well, I shot him when he was fully extended, right? So he was mm-hmm. at a real wide stance, went through, he kicked, ran. I don't know. He was dead inside of a hundred yards, but I couldn't find him until the next, oh man, I want to say, I don't remember if I found him that night or, uh, or the next morning. I think I let him set. We had to, we had to go in and grid in, in the CRP, but there was no blood because the skin came back over top of the wound channel, the wound hole and all the blood went inside instead of outside. So there was, there wasn't a blood trail for that deer. And, like I, like you said, man, I I turned him over, opened him up, got him, and it was just all the blood was in his in his in his chest cavity, right? So yeah, just plum full. Yeah, plum full. So why don't you uh, describe this buck uh, as far as the antlers to everybody, and tell us, you know, relatively what's he scored, just so everybody can get a an idea and how old do you think this deer is? So um, it was a deer that uh, we'd actually nicknamed. T-Rex because he had it, it weird if you look like it a dinosaur skull it's like just rows of tines yeah he uh very very unique because he has on both main beams has like a valley uh a dip in the middle of his main beams and has tines coming out the outside of his rack and tines coming out on the inside of of that valley um he was 14 points um ended up scoring 181 and three eighths Whoa. Um, but body wise, he wasn't, he wasn't a very big deer. Yeah. Um, he was maybe, you know, 180 pounds, 170 pounds. Really? Um, worn out from the rut, you think? I, I think so. Um, you know, he was kind of wore down. His neck really wasn't that big. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I knew he was an older deer because I'd been chasing him for three years. Right. In the first year I saw him. I mean, he was a stud. He was, you know, 160 inch deer. So I knew he was at least three and a half then. And, uh, he was actually, I think bigger the previous year. He was 16 points the previous year. Oh, wow. Um, and actually the neighbor to the North found, uh, one of his sheds from last year and it scored out at 79 oh, wow. inches. And that was his weak side. So yeah i mean it was i mean he's a just a so crazy is, antler deer is this the biggest buck you've ever shot with a bow it is score score wise yes okay it's the biggest deer i've ever shot but body wise uh, i killed one two years ago in 2016 that you're gonna call me crazy but i weighed this deer um he was 320 pounds field dressed after the guts were out after the guts were out yeah yeah I don't, I don't, uh, I don't doubt that at all, man. I tell you what, uh, 2012, the buck I shot, I, in that picture, I was probably, I probably weighed about 230, 240 pounds. Plus I had all my, all my like overalls and stuff on it. And then I rolled them up, sat them down and I, I took a picture and he makes me look extremely tiny. And this buck, no, no doubt was, 300 plus 
we never weighed him, but but dragging him out of the timber, you know, was not fun. That's the same way with me, man. I'm I'm a I'm a big boy, uh, yeah. you know, offensive lineman, middle linebacker type. Um, you know, at that time I was about 380 pounds. Um, but yeah, I, I shot that deer and got up to him. I'm like, Oh my God, I, <laughs> I, I almost didn't shoot him because he came, um, he came chasing a doe and I thought he was chasing like a yearling fawn. Right. And the doe came by and I'm like, well, that's, that's a full grown doe. Yeah. And he, he got closer. I'm like, dear Lord. Right. Deer looks like a feeder calf coming through. <laughs> All right, so you've shot a really big antlered buck, and you've shot a really big bodied deer, right? So, what's yeah. more impressive to you when you walked up on these two animals? Was it a big, rare, unique rack, or just a giant body? I'd say both, man. I, I mean, I, I. That's why I love you know deer hunting. It's you know, there's there's so many unique characteristics to to each each deer that's out there. Right. I mean, you got some with just crazy bodies, and um, you know, some with just unbelievable antlers, but their bodies aren't that impressive. Like doing taxidermy, I've gotten to see a lot of deer over the years, and the biggest deer I've ever mounted was uh, a couple years ago. It was like a 216 inch deer, like 28 points, and it probably weighed 160 pounds. Man. Well, we know where all his energy went. <laughs> yeah, growing that rack. Yeah, that's crazy. And yeah, that's one. I tell you what, that's one thing I really like too is, you know, and I I haven't mule deer hunted enough to know this. I haven't elk hunted enough to know these things. But one thing that is always cool about whitetails is I feel like the characteristics are so much different. Unlike a um, unlike an elk where if it's a five by five, all the antlers kind of look the same, or if it's a six by six, all the antlers kind of look the same or a mule deer, unless it's like, unless it's a giant, all the antlers kind of look yeah. the same, you know, but that's me also not knowing as much about those species as I do whitetails when I can look at my, my shed wall and I can look through trail camera pictures and I can say, that's this buck. There's his shed antler. Here he is at this age. Here he is at, at this age. The the antlers carry so much characteristics that you can tell a story with them and know exactly yeah. what deer is what. And I don't know. There, there's something about that 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 keeps me intrigued with whitetails every single year. I I don't know, man. That's, I mean, that's I I love doing these trail cameras now for for that reason i mean it's like it's their individual fingerprint yeah you know you have you know these all these different a pointers running around but i mean you have some that are just insanely wide some that are yep. super massive and it's i mean each deer is just unique to you know they just have their own look and yep. it, it's just it's a lot of fun getting to you know get those pictures of them and then get to chase them when hunting season comes in yep um, and even just getting to see them on the hoof. I mean, consider it lucky if I get to lay eyes on a deer like that. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. So kind of going back to this year's buck, man, like when you walk up on the biggest buck that you've ever shot and you kneel down and you grab his antlers and pull his head up for the very first time, what was, what was your, your emotional state? What were you feeling? What were you thinking? 
Oh, dude, I was like a train wreck of emotions. <laughs> it was, it was, but I mean, it was, it was so cool because, you know, my dad got me into hunting back in, <clears throat> I think I killed my first deer in 88. And, uh, I, I'm lucky enough. I still get to hunt with my dad and he's in his uh, early sixties and he still hunts with a compound. Um, and so, you know, all the, the work I get to put in on, you know, trail cams and doing food plots and, and all that stuff, you know, I get to see him, him benefit from all that stuff. And, uh, and get to you know, go out and chase these deer with me. And uh, last year, for instance, I had, you know, first year doing trail cams, had a, had a buck that was hitting the scrape three days in a row, middle of the day, said, hey, you know, the steer's back there. I know it's a hike, but I said he's been coming in regularly. And he goes back there, and before I even get up in my stand, my phone is buzzing saying, big buck down. No shit. So he yeah he killed this like 140 inch eight that his body was just a tank and uh he hadn't killed a, a big deer with his bow for quite a long time so getting him in and and doing that with him and then him getting to be there for this deer you know the biggest deer ever shot my first boone and crockett deer i mean it was it was awesome awesome yeah now what's the in the area that you hunt at least catching a, a deer like that on trail camera um, is that a once in a year thing? Like you always will have like a, let's say a booner running around uh, on trail camera or in the area on, or on your farm, or is that just a really rare deer where you're at? Pretty rare. Um, a deer that big. I mean, we'll have, uh, you know, a lot of deer that are really, really nice. I mean, 150, 160 inch deer running around, um, that are just, you know, great big body deer. You can just tell they're mature. Um, but getting one that's, you know, over 170 inches, that just, that just doesn't happen very often. Right. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Well, that's awesome, man. Um, so you mentioned that you hunt a lot in, it sounds to me like an egg, a, a heavy egg, uh, part of the state right where everything is yeah. everything's farmed so what yep. what specific terrain features whether it's a river bottom or a big block of timber keep the deer in your area um the thing with where i'm hunting is there's a lot of crp gotcha. so the neighbors to my west have like 300 acres of crp um, and the neighbor, like I said, to the north has, you know, a, a 12 to 15 acre patch of CRP right there. And, uh, there's probably 60 acres of woods on, uh, on the farm where I, where I mainly hunt. And, uh, that's where I went in. I, I did a bunch of hinge cutting last year, um, trying to kind of create some bedding areas to maybe keep some more deer on, on our farm. And, uh, but, uh. Yeah, there's lots of CRP right there around where we hunt. Yeah. And I tell you what, man, that's one thing that I wish there was more of in the areas that I hunt because I don't know what it is about CRP that you would think, right? They want real thick, nasty cover that where they can go hide in. But mm -hmm. I think a lot of people honestly overlook CRP even if it is a, a small block of it, because I don't know about you, but in the past I've seen deer 
you don't even see them until they're within shooting range because they just they're designed their bodies are designed to blend in with that natural cover they'll they'll just sit there and let you walk by i mean i've been out been out shed hunting before and cruising some of those areas and i'll look behind me and see some tails running off the opposite direction where i've just walked by i mean they just hold that tight in it they feel that secure in it yeah yeah i don't know i if i had my if i had my perfect if i could sit there and play god and design perfect land (laughs) that for for uh, creating a farm it would have a good amount of crp in it i i don't know what it is but i I, you know I, i love crp yeah we're uh this plate this farm that i'm talking about it has a little bitty back just a little like six acre backfield that's kind of a pain in the ass to get to and uh it doesn't really raise much between being surrounded by trees and by the time the deer and the coons are done eating everything it really doesn't raise much and i've been been talking about trying to get that put in the crp program yeah absolutely absolutely and you plant food plots too right uh, they're micro food plots, I guess you could call them. Um, basically, the the farming equipment that uh, that my uncles use, it's gotten you know to be pretty pretty good size, and so like a lot of these little skinny points, they can't get back into anymore. So most of my food plots are like an an eighth of an acre to a quarter acre. Um, but uh, my cousin who I bow hunt with a lot. Um, and he runs the combine most of the time. He's he's awesome enough that he'll leave uh, leave a few standing crops in some of these places. Oh man, I wish, I wish <laughs> I could talk a guy into doing that on some of the farms that I hunt because <clears throat> this time of year, I mean, up until yesterday, two days ago, I had a trail camera. I have one of those satellite trail cameras on this standing yeah. bean field, and it got picked yesterday. So finally, the crops came out, which you know. Like I always say this, but you bitch and complain when they're standing in October, November, because you want them out, so that all the deer are in the timber. But, but then this time of year, you're hoping that they don't, you know, they don't, I don't know, they they don't get picked until after the hunting season. The uh, that acre and a half of standing beans that I have, I hunted last night actually, and uh, actually filled my last doe tag last night. Oh, nice um, with my bow. But, uh, yeah, I hunted that standing beans last night and, uh, saw 26 deer, man. I mean, it was just insane. And it's not even around every place. And it's not even that cold. No, it was 50 degrees. Yeah. Oh, do you see any uh, mature bucks hit that, uh, food plot last night or that standing uh, I actually, I actually passed, uh, a deer that me and uh, a couple of our neighbors, we've kind of gotten together uh and are trying to you know grow some bigger deer and um i had this nine point he's probably 150 to 155 inch nine which is all sorts of gnarly trash on his bases i had him at 10 yards last night but he's he's just a really young looking deer yeah uh just you know slender neck you know not real beefy in his in his shoulders so uh yeah i actually passed him last night um and shot a doe that was feeding about 20 yards away from him. Nice. Let me ask you this. The buck you killed, going back to your buck this year, what is yeah. one thing that you learned this year from hunting that buck? 
um, wait till the time is right to go in after him. Um, I mean that the cold snap dropping 30 degrees, five to six inches of snow. I mean, that that's the whole reason that deer was up on his feet that early. I mean, I didn't, I, the only daytime hard horn picture I have of that deer is from the night I shot him. He walked by my camera on the way out to where I shot him. Wow. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's a a good lesson. I mean, and that's, it's, isn't it such, such like a a hit and miss because you're, you you said that you found success because you waited for the right time. Then there's a, a handful of people out there, uh, you know, probably equally parts, um, you know, be patient as opposed to be aggressive and go in and, and find him and kill him. But with, you know, with the, the layout you had, the scenario that you had, you felt it was best to be patient, wait him out. And the conditions told you go in and kill him and you went in and killed him. So it, it was, there's a lot of luck involved in it, but it, uh, you know, like I said, using those trail cams, having him in there the last six nights uh, before that, you know, I knew he was in the area, knew he was bedding close, you know, conditions changed, made it to where I thought it was perfect. So yep. I thought if he's ever going to be up on his feet, it'll be today. Yep. And uh, it happened to work out, man. And now, and now you have some taxidermy work to do. And now I have taxidermy work to do. There you go. <laughs> Unfortunately, it'll be the, I think the last one I get to this year, but um, I've got 18 other heads lined up to do already. Oh, wow. Cool. Well, Mr. Yingling, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on the podcast and uh, BS with us for a little bit. So no problem, buddy. I appreciate it. So appreciate you uh, putting out all the content you do. Learned a lot from it. And there you have it, another podcast in the books, another year in the books. Huge shout out to Chad for hopping on the podcast and chatting with us today. Huge shout out to all of you uh, members of the Nine Finger Nation, man. I really appreciate it. Huge shout out to all the partners of this podcast, Exodus, Wasp, Lone Wolf, Deer Lab, Prime, Ripcord, Ozonics, and lastly, Hunter Safety Systems. Without their support, this is not happening. So please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. Go leave a review on iTunes or wherever you download the podcast. Uh, Check out the Sportsman's Nation website, Sportsman's Nation, M-E-N-S, SportsmansNation.com. Tons of great podcasts and content there, not only for big game and whitetails, but we just started a fishing podcast, so go check that out, man. 2018 has been real. If you still are hunting, our friends at Hunter Safety Systems are reminding us all to please wear your damn safety harness. 2019, I'm coming for you.